1: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hello and welcome back to Professional AF. My name is Diana Kander and I am your host for this season that we're spending getting over failures, mistakes, setbacks, and actually learning how to use them as stepping stones to even better futures. Today, I'm talking with Sheila Heen, the founder of Triad Consulting Group and a lecturer of law at Harvard Law School. Besides teaching at Harvard, Sheila has worked with the biggest companies in the world, advising their executives teams through conflict, repairing working relationships and helping them make better decisions together. She's also spent the last 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project, developing negotiation theory theory and practice. Sheila specializes in particularly difficult negotiations, ones where emotions are going to run high, relationships are going to be strained. And she's written two very successful books. The first one called Difficult Conversations and the one that we're talking about today called Thanks for the Feedback. Now, I really wanted to talk to Sheila because there have been so many books written about how to give feedback to others But if we're going to learn from our mistakes, if we're going to get even better at what we're already doing, then we need to learn how to not only ask for, but listen to feedback. Sheila is a rare and incredible resource in this regard. And this book is incredible. I just had to share it with you. So specifically, Sheila and I are going to discuss how to make feedback work in your organization, because as she shares, most companies don't believe that Feedback is working very well for them. The problem with coaching and why it doesn't work quite like we would hope that it would. The three different kinds of feedback that you can give somebody. Why the feedback sandwich doesn't actually work and how to give difficult feedback much better. And how to process the feedback that you're receiving in a way that you'll actually do something with it. Before we get to the show, I'd love for you to take a second or two to just review the show, rate it, whatever you think is worthy. The higher the number of ratings, the higher it comes up in search results and more people discover the show. Uh, I would so very much appreciate you doing that. And without further ado, please enjoy this amazing conversation with Sheila Heen. I'm so excited to chat with you. I love the book. I want to focus on feedback, which is uh, one of my favorite topics. Actually, at the beginning of the year, I started a project on Twitter where I wrote a Twitter book, a Twitter first book about uncovering blind spots. Awesome. And so I really want to focus our time at first on the importance of asking for feedback. Yeah. And, you know, my very first question is, how do we convince companies and individuals that they even have blind spots? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, let's start, let's start with something simple. You yeah, know?
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think this is one of the things that got us so curious, which is that if you ask almost anyone whether feedback is working in their organizations the way that they need it to or want it to, they would say, no. People don't offer honest feedback. People don't get the feedback that they want or need, etc. If you ask them does the organization have blind spots they'll say oh absolutely but if you ask each of us if we have blind spots personally it's like no not that I can tell <laughs> right so we're super aware of everybody else's blind spots and not aware of our own and 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 that's the nature of blind spots but sometimes the way in is um, to ask people to reflect on other people's blind spots and what they can see there or the organization's challenges and then bring it around to, well, if we're going to change things, that actually means each of us need to change.
0: You know, it's one of the things I love the most about your book. I mean, most books that are written on feedback, you know, people love them because it's like, oh, I, you know, other people need to be better at taking feedback so I can work on how to give it. And that's what I want to work on. And this is the first book is like, no, 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 you should ask for feedback. And I think
1: that's like the last place most people want to go. (laughs) Indeed it is. So this was actually one of the interesting challenges of writing this book as a book. Because if you do look at books about feedback, even if the title says giving and receiving feedback, the receiving part is like a sentence that says Uh, (laughs) chapter at most. (laughs) (laughs) Say thank you and take the feedback. Which is great advice when I'm thinking about other people responding to my feedback, but it just doesn't seem like good advice for the feedback that I personally get. And so we had this funny um, challenge when writing the book, which is that typically you want to write a book that responds to the problem people perceive that they have, what we call your felt problem, Mm -hmm. where I look at the shelf at the bookstore and I think, oh, I, that's one of the things that I need. And, um, I don't, I think we do walk around the world aware of the feedback we're not offering other people, but we are not so aware of all of the feedback that other people are withholding from us. Yeah. Um, and what kind of got us there was, Really bumping into the wall on, gosh, we've been teaching people how to give feedback for years, but it doesn't seem to be actually solving the problem. So, like, <laughs> right. what are we missing here? And realizing, oh, hold on, there's a whole other side of the equation, which is even more challenging and perhaps more interesting, which is what is so hard about receiving feedback for all of us? And also expanding the idea of feedback beyond performance reviews, the formal. Sort of evaluation feedback and really thinking about all of the, you know, spoken and, and unspoken, sometimes little signals that other people are giving us for how we're impacting them, right? And and the challenges that we're up against.
0: Well, I'll tell you how I stumbled on blind spots first, and it actually had nothing to do with feedback. And that is, um, I set a, a really ambitious personal challenge to do a ten minute plank. I, I write fiction business books. And so one of the plot lines was to, somebody was doing a 10 minute plank, and I thought I would try it so I could write about it better. Awesome. And I got stuck. I got stuck at like three minutes on my own, you know?
1: <laughs> and. Okay, well, first of all, let me just say it's that pretty three minutes it's alone pretty good. It's a lot is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: that wasn't the goal. Okay. And so, uh, you know, part of the book is about uncovering blind spots in organizations. And so I tried to understand my own. And so I went to people who were experts at planking and found out what they were doing that I wasn't doing, which was they were spending like 30 percent of their time doing weightlifting on muscles that I honestly didn't even know were muscles. (laughs) And (laughs) once I started following their methodology I doubled my time in like two or three weeks. I mean, it was uh, unbelievable the difference that the blind spots made for me. Yeah. And so my thesis became that all of us has, have a list of things that we think we should be working on for ourselves or how to get to our goal. And then there's this other list of things that we wouldn't even know to write down, like if I sat down at my desk, I would never come up with like exercise muscles you don't know exist, you know? (laughs) Right. And so there's this other half of blind spots. And that list is going to get you to your goal, like exponentially Faster. faster. Yeah. And so that was that was like my big aha on, oh, my God, like other people hold these keys that we aren't even aware of. And so it got me into the, you know, wanting to read your book. But that is a difficult epiphany to explain to other people because there's so much pain. Like, that's an easy example. But when it comes to, like, what am I personally doing that's affecting my marriage, my work, um, that's so much more personal,
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I love about um, your experience is that I do think that a lot of coaching in organizations is driven by the coachee, and that's a great thing, um, except that the coachee may or may not be aware of what everyone else wishes they were working on, Um, and so the great thing about the question that you asked was that it wasn't what you thought you needed to work on. It was actually about your end goal, right? So you weren't saying, I can't figure out I need some better ab exercises, right? Right. Cause I clearly, that's what I need to get better at. <laughs> you instead said like, here's where I'm trying to go and I'm not yet getting there and I can't figure out why. And that kind of opens the door for people to say like, well, actually there are some things that may or may not even be visible to you, um, that I think would help you get there.
0: So is that an important part of the journey to have somebody you know, think about how their feedback system is preventing them or helping them get to a goal like that. The goal is such an important part of that process.
1: Yeah. Although I have to say that before this very moment, I wasn't thinking that clearly about the difference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think Honestly, we're done. We both, I think I got we both my learned clip. something today. <laughs> I, I think I wasn't thinking as clearly about the difference. I, I, um, we do think pretty carefully about The different kinds of feedback, right? Appreciation and coaching and evaluation, and that they have really different purposes, and that we often get those mixed up together. But what we're talking about is really within the realm of coaching, which is the feedback that's designed to help you get better at something.
0: Yeah, that's really where I spend most of my time, you know, trying to help people uncover how to get their how to get more out of their work. Yeah. So I was curious you know, how you convince companies and individuals that they have blind spots. And like there's some red flags that I kind of look to, but I wonder if you've seen others. So um, one of them is, you know, 95 percent approval rates from customers over a significant period of time to me says like you're not asking the right questions or our engagement survey is at 90 percent every single year. Uh, Or like over 90% successful pilots in their project.
1: Mm, That's really interesting because you're working with organizations who are getting sort of across the board positive feedback. That that's not a class of clients who show up on my doorstep. (laughs) Yeah. The clients who show up on my doorstep often feel like from the leader's point of view, gosh, we've got a really strong company culture you know, I, I think my team is really performing. And then they get back survey results from maybe their climate or their engagement surveys that actually are not as high as they expected them to be because under the safety of anonymity, to the extent that people trust that, they are signaling actually things aren't as comfortable or as open or as candid as maybe they could be, or I'm not as engaged as I could be um, Mm -hmm. in what we're trying to do together and trying to improve, constantly improve what we're doing together. I don't necessarily feel safe doing that um, or I try and it doesn't go anywhere.
0: And uh, I mean, I think that's a great prompt, right? Like that's a problem to be solved in an organization. And of all the organizations that get that kind of feedback, I think it's still a small percentage that contact somebody like you that says, you know, that they don't dismiss it offhand and say bad survey, or they're just angry about their salaries,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that we can rationalize those results rather than getting curious about those results right? Rationalize or dismiss them. And so I do, I think you're right that getting curious about like, gosh, there must be something here that I'm not understanding um, is what gets people serious about actually trying to improve things and figure out what what do we need to change if we're going to have richer feedback conversations across the board. And if we're going to actually be a place where people can show up, feel valued and appreciated, and our team's can learn as fast as possible and collaborate as um, productively as possible because collaboration, particularly in the environment that we're in these days um, and constantly adapting and improving what we're doing um, and how we're meeting customers and clients where they're at really requires a robust system instead of norms around feedback. And I actually think that it, it is a pretty simple set of practices that can move the needle on that. Well, I, I would love for you to share those. <laughs> maybe I mean, maybe, maybe like that's it. what we, no, let's not tell anybody about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so one of, the, um, one of the things to think about is the types of feedback that we're providing people um so people toss around this word feedback and and we would suggest that there are actually three different kinds. Um ACE is the easy way to remember them. Ace, appreciation just says like I see you and I get you and you matter around here and I know what it's co- I notice what it's costing you to deliver at this level. I know how hard you're working. Um I see the progress that you're making and in most organizations People will report feeling underappreciated at work. But appreciation is a big piece of what keeps them engaged and motivated. The second kind of feedback is coaching. And coaching really is anything that is designed to help you get better at something. Improve your effectiveness, efficiency, skill, knowledge base, et cetera. And so that's the engine, right, for learning and improvement and, and constantly seeking excellence and collaborating effectively over time. And then finally, evaluation rates or ranks you. It says, against some set of expectations, how are you doing or how are we doing as a team or as a department? Um, So those are performance reviews, obviously. But they're, they're also actually the conversations that we have regularly where we try to gauge where do we stand here? Like, is this draft ready to go out to a client? Um, is this ready to be shown to the executive team, et cetera. You're, you're judging against some set of standards um, whether it's up to snuff. Yeah. So um, interestingly, in order to learn and grow, people actually need all three kinds of feedback. And we need to be providing each other with all three kinds of feedback. And, and then often managers or leaders say like, oh my God, that sounds exhausting. To which I would say it doesn't have to all come from you. You are not the person who is best placed to offer it. And so part of the task is to um, engage your team in talking about what they each need more of, what kind of feedback they would like more of, and how they might get it from each other. How do we support each other? And so just doing a quick self-assessment, you know, how much appreciation do you feel like you're getting right now? How much coaching? Do you feel like you're getting, um, and how clear are you on where you stand and how you're doing, whether you're on track? Um, and then what, what would you like more of? And having that conversation as a team once a month as a quick check-in opens up permission for people to offer it to each other so that it doesn't always have to come from the manager. And that's a pretty simple practice that can be integrated into your Monday morning meetings. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's such a great idea. You know, uh, my husband um, has run for a number of political offices and it took us. uh, I don't remember if it was the first campaign that we figured this out, but he would get done giving a speech and he would uh, say, like, how did I do? And I would be like, well, you messed up like here and here and here. (laughs) Yeah. And so we learned very quickly that for the sake of our marriage, uh, the first question I would ask would be, well, do you want me to wear my wife hat or like my campaign advisor hat? Yes. You know the different types of hats that you're talking about, and then he would be honest. He'd be like, "I'd like the wife hat, please." And so then I'd be like, "I thought you did fantastic." Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, yeah. And and so like that idea of thinking of wearing the different hats, which is like what the person needs
1: at the moment, you know. Yeah, and I think that so I can. That reminds me of two things I've found helpful, also, which is. I do think that there's a time and a place where, like I've I've written a draft of something, um, and I hand it to somebody and said, "Can you give me some feedback on this?" What they need to ask me is, "What would be most helpful to you right now? Yes. Appreciation, or coaching, or evaluation?" Yeah are you at, and and sometimes i think it's totally legitimate to say like look if there's anything that's good in here like just let me know <laughs> cuz i'm just feeling a little discouraged yeah. right i'm not even sure this is worth pursuing which is a combination of appreciation and evaluation yeah can you tell me whether you think this is a promising direction that's an, a question for judgment mm-hmm. or i might say i'm really wrestling with you know whether my opening is working or what I could try instead. So I could use some coaching on that particular thing. I
0: want to put a note in the second thing. I don't want you to forget it because it sounds important, but you bring up a really important point, which is most people hand others a draft and say, can you give me some feedback or they'll go yes. into their office. And that is a, a, a challenging request. You're setting yourself up for failure because they have no idea what you mean. And so yes. they're usually going to say nice things because they I would say like people's default is you want to hear you did fine. And so if you want to hear any of the others, you have to be explicit with others.
1: I think that's right. And, and particularly if you want coaching. Yeah. When you ask people in organizations, what kind of feedback are you short on? And would you like more of universally? The strongest response I get is people are short on coaching. And I think it's because people hesitate to give you Suggestions and coaching, unless, of course, they're your spouse (laughs) (laughs) or your kids. I have all kinds of coaching for them. Um, But so, in terms of how to ask for feedback, rather than saying, Do you have any feedback for me? Our suggestion would be to ask for if you want coaching, ask for one thing. Hey, what's one thing that when I give this speech tomorrow or after lunch on political campaigns, you think would make it better? Or what's one thing that if I changed it would make a difference to you? That's actually a much easier question to answer. And it's really clear that you're looking for something to improve. And so that's a question that can just be integrated into, you know, the walk down the hall after the meeting. Hey, what's one thing if we changed it about that meeting each week would make it better?
0: Yeah. From your point of view. And one of the things I, uh, I didn't see in the book, and I'm curious what you think about it, like make sure you're asking the right person. Because um, whenever I'm giving a speech, my mom's feedback is always about my clothes. And uh, she's not the (laughs) best person, you know, to give me like speaking feedback. Yes. Yes. Uh, So make sure you're asking somebody who whatever it is that your goal is, they've been successful in that area,
1: you know. They've been successful in that area or they may not have been successful, but they're part of your target audience. So they have a perspective. Yeah, of course. That's useful. When people say, well, I didn't take their feedback because I don't think they're credible or I don't want to be like them. Mm -hmm. I actually think that people we find difficult or we don't want to be like, um, often have a perspective that can be valuable, right? Because they're saying, here's how this landed with me. And it's like, Oh, if it landed with you that way, that's a problem.
0: I love that part of the book. I underlined it when you said, like, go to somebody you don't get along with and ask them for feedback. I just put, like, ouch with an exclamation mark.
1: (laughs) Did you have any names (laughs) written next to that paragraph? (laughs) No, but I had never
0: thought about doing that. Like, the person that you keep having conflict with. And it might go a long way in changing that relationship.
1: Yeah. That was actually one of the biggest learnings for me, too, as we... You know, worked our way through this learning process ourselves about feedback was like my list of approved feedback givers—the people I trust and I think are successful, incredible, et cetera—is is is really quite short. (laughs) And but like the my life is populated by now everybody else, and realizing suddenly that sometimes the people I have the most friction with or the most trouble with could be the MVPs of my. Learning because there's something that's not working between us, and often it sits in a blind spot for me. Because from my point of view, they're just being ridiculous, (laughs) wrong, so wrong, (laughs) wrong, wrong. Exactly, need a personality transplant. But what if I went to them and said, "Hey, you know, I'm sure there are a number of things that I can improve, but what's one thing that if I changed it would make it easier from your perspective for us to, you know, get done what we work to get done together?" And that that question alone can start to shift the relationship. Because first of all, they'll surely tell you, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and then over time, they may reciprocate and ask if there are things that they could change. And so now you've suddenly turned around that relationship um, by asking a simple question. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's uh, let's dive deeper into the ouch portion, which is like, you know, we've been talking so far about encouraging people to find out things that might hurt when they receive them. And uh, I thought your, you, you know, research on accepting feedback was phenomenal and so easy. Like, honestly, until I read the book and as much as I love feedback, the best plan I had for accepting it was uh, before my husband like gives me feedback, I get into the power pose where I had tried to create as much confidence for myself. So he will make me put my arms up before he tells me anything. (laughs) And that that's really the extent of, uh, what I had done to try to accept the feedback better, but you have much better advice. So, um, can you share that with us?
1: Yeah. Well, so one of the things I think that has helped me is that, um, when feedback is incoming, just to understand that all human beings have a set of triggered reactions, like that's totally normal. And that that's not necessarily going to go away, but understanding it can help you figure out how to navigate the feedback and find what's helpful about it, what's valuable in it. So the idea is that people, you can kind of sort the triggered reactions we have into three categories. One is what we call truth triggers. Is this good advice or bad advice? Is it true or accurate? Um, Does it understand what was really going on and the constraints, et cetera? It's all about evaluating the content of the feedback itself. But the second trigger is a relationship trigger, which has to do with who gave you the feedback, right? I don't like you. I don't trust you. Go away. Um, Although relationship triggers are interesting as we're talking about spouses because It is why your best friend can tell you things sometimes that nobody else can, but sometimes the people closest to us can't get through to us and we'll get the same feedback from a stranger and we just hear it differently or an acquaintance, right? And we just hear it differently. So we often have a bigger reaction to the who than the what and trying to pull those apart um, is part of the challenge in relationship triggers. And then, then finally, identity triggers, which really hit upon the story we tell about who we are or want to be and also through part of this research we bumped into some evidence that in terms of sensitivity to feedback how upset do we get and how long does it take us to recover that um individual sensitivity can vary by up to three thousand percent let's talk so about you, that right because you just yeah I and mean, yes. that's a big just, deal it, yeah it's a huge deal and just getting to know your own profile yeah and your own reactions is part of the challenge. And then you can coach other people on how to offer you feedback so that you're a little more likely to hear it.
0: So you describe it as there's this baseline of where you're operating in the world, whether you'll take it as a, you know, whether you can brush it off or whether it'll ruin you for the rest of the week. And, and <laughs> year. how, <Yes>. what?
1: <laughs> rest of the yeah. year. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: Um I mean, I think we can all still remember things that people said to us in grade school, you know, so oh yeah, yeah, isn't that interesting?, yeah. um, so you have this baseline of where you are and um and how much you'll fluctuate from the baseline, depending on like what's going on with you that day, that week, and actually, as I reflected on my personal career the the best way for me to explain like how I gained confidence as a professional is moving up that baseline throughout um, my career. I mean, it was just great to give me those words, but I I'd love for you to like dive deeper into that concept. Like how do we know what our baseline is and, and explain how it works between two people who have very different baselines.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um, so this comes out of research around what's sometimes called set point or baseline. Um, and it really comes out of some of the happiness research that suggests that, um, it, you know, if the scale is one to 10, there are people who just sort of their equilibrium point or set point tends to be around like an eight. Like they're just delighted day in and day out with <laughs> with, you know, Everything from their new promotion to like this cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, which is just like so satisfying this morning. It's exactly what I needed. And, you know, they're they're kind of irritating. <laughs> there's a there's
0: a Friends episode. I don't know if you used to watch Friends, but uh, yeah. one of the Baldwin brothers plays this character where he was like, did you see that bridge we drove over on the way over here? It was the most magnificent bridge I've ever seen. I'll be thinking about it for the rest of the day. People are like, oh, that guy. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but like the minute you name this, you can think of people yeah. who are like, Oh, right. You know, they just always, they're, they're always have a smile on their face. They light up the room. They play a really important role, right. On our teams and in our families sometimes. Um, and they're, they can be a little hard to understand. And the, the, that's a separate question by the way, from how far they swing. Yeah. High or low. Um, somebody who lives their life at, say, a four, is maybe their equilibrium is always just a little discontent, right? Um, And one of the things that is interesting is that although these are separate strands of research, there is some evidence that there's a relationship between them in terms of swing. So that people who have a lower set point positive feedback may not give them the boost that they would otherwise get or that the eight gets. The eight feels like the positive feedback gives them a big boost and it just confirms (laughs) how great life is. (laughs) (laughs) The person who tends to gravitate back to a four probably appreciates and gets a positive boost swing um, from positive feedback. But because they settle back to four over time, they think like, well, that's not really going to, last, right? So it's somehow temporary. By the way, the, the the degree of swing that you get, like how happy does positive feedback make you and for how long do you sustain that positive feeling? You can actually have different swing for positive and negative. Um, however, most people have more swing with negative. So that, you know, negative feedback gives you a bigger reaction. So if I get, um, I, I post an
0: article and 90% of the responses on Twitter and Instagram are positive, And then somebody, one person says like, yes. I, and it's like, vague. I didn't like it <laughs> poorly written. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's it. That's all you can think about. Right.
1: Like that just yes. for some people, for most people. Uh, and, and I'll go as far as <laughs> to say most, most people. Yeah. Will relate to that, right? And and I think it's partly because um, the adrenaline jolt you get from that negative feedback is a threat response, right? And so we're wired to have a reaction to threat. It's a survival mechanism, um, and you just don't have a positive appreciation emergency, right? <laughs> so that you don't have you don't have a similar system. Meaning, like hormonal system for positive, you've got oxytocin, but it doesn't have the instant jolt. It's just not the same. So, so I would say most people um, will swing further with negative feedback than they get a boost from positive feedback. But, but you can vary on both sides of that equation as well, for sure. Um, For sure, this brings up a question
0: I'm sure you get asked a thousand times, which is uh, the feedback sandwich. You know, yes. What do you think about the feedback sandwich? Is it a good idea, a bad idea?
1: What's your experience with the feedback sandwich?
0: Um. Well, the I I hate the feedback sandwich. I just wish people <laughs> would give me you know the meat. <laughs> and yes. like, I yeah. as soon as as soon as I hear somebody starting with something positive, I immediately dismiss it. I'm like, just get to the thing you wanted to tell me. Yeah.
1: So, so that is my experience also, which is that I think that it is well-intended. And it's well-intended in that it's trying to actually describe reality, which is, in most cases, there are a bunch of things that I actually appreciate about you or that you are doing really well. However, this conversation is about the, the thing that you are really screwing up. But let's just remember that there are some other things (laughs) that I can't think of right now that you do well. Um, So it's actually trying to give you a balanced perspective on um, sort of where you stand along with the coaching and the conversation about what's not working. Um, But the problem is that the positives feel instrumental. So it's like, listen, you know you're great. However... (laughs) (laughs) This is what this is. This is the big problem that we're now going to spend an hour talking about. But before you walk out the door, I'll just remind you that you're great. So the positives end up just serving as a warning for what the conversation is really about. And and nobody calls a sandwich a like bread, meat, bread sandwich. They call it a ham sandwich because they know that the important part is in the middle. So so from my point of view, the answer is mostly to make sure you are giving appreciation throughout the year regular, regularly so that when we do need to talk about something that we need to fix or change, I've got the background of genuine conversations about all of the things that were fantastic and that um, really meant something to me and that I know this cost you part of your weekend, et cetera. So you already feel seen and appreciated and valued. And that gives us actually more leeway to jump straight into and be more straight about something that's coaching. So this that ACE framework, each of those kinds of feedback bumps into others. So and part of what the problem is with a shortage of appreciation is that it means I'm less willing to hear your coaching. Like after six months, the first thing you have to say to me is about something you need me to change like screw. You. Yeah. So Um, And I think that's related to the sandwich as well. You know,
0: I work a lot with teams doing after action reviews on their projects. And I like to say you got to do six after action reviews on things that worked well in order to have an honest conversation on a project that worked poorly so that people feel safe in that conversation so that they know that the goal is really like improvement. So that makes a ton of sense what you're saying. And I'm actually thinking about whether starting the conversation with this is going to be a coaching conversation or this is going to be an evaluation. This is the purpose of this so that you're not just caught flat footed. Like, can I talk to you for five minutes?
1: You're terrible at this. I think that that's really wise, by the way, is that the the after action review needs to be a practice that we put in place to both to learn, to both reinforce what worked well and why so that we can replicate that and to address where something didn't work the way that we expected it to. And I think the trust that you build about honesty in those conversations, I think it's really smart that you've got to be sure to do them about the ones that are working. Yeah. Because it gives That's you exactly respect. what you're. Yeah. 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 So we should circle back to, by the way, the other thing that your yes. conversation with your husband reminded me of, because it's, it's really relevant here. Like, should I wear the wife hat or the consultant hat, which I love? Um, And it has to do with the different kinds of mirrors that we can be for each other. And I think when we get upsetting feedback and then we go to vent to someone that we trust, a friend, a colleague, um, a spouse, you know, and we're like, Oh my gosh, you're never gonna believe what just happened today. And so and so said the following, and they said it right in front of so-and-so, and you know, it's ridiculous. And I think what we implicitly ask them to be is what we would call a supportive mirror. Right? I need you to say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, they're they're worse at that than you are, they're stupid. Clearly, it's more about them than it is about you, et cetera. And supportive mirrors show you what you're like at your best, right? On a good hair day under flattering light. Um, and, And I think it's easy to dismiss supportive mirrors because of that, because it feels disingenuous, but it's not disingenuous, actually. Your friends are saying, please don't forget how amazing you are, because this one piece of feedback from this one person is not the whole story about who you are. And it can really help me to not distort that feedback, like one thing is everything. I've never done anything right in my entire life. Um, and I, my, the feedback can get supersized. And when it's supersized, I really can't learn from it. I'm not in a place where I can. And so, supportive mirrors actually help me to regain my footing um, and to see the feedback at actual size. The the challenge, though, is that once I feel reassured, we're done with the conversation and I walk away and I actually don't learn anything from it. I've simply been reassured and the supportive mirror has actually helped me to not just minimize or see it at actual size, but to dismiss it. And I think when we're ready, we should be then turning to asking the people we trust to be an honest mirror. And an honest mirror shows me what I look like like right now in this moment where maybe I'm not at my best and there's something for me to learn. Um, and it, this is related to blind spots because the, the sh- the mirror, the kind of mirror that always comes to mind for me when I think about an honest mirror is the mirror that you get handed at the barbershop or the hair salon at the end. And what are they showing you when they hand you that mirror? The back of your, yeah, the back kid. of your head, And it's something that you can't see by yourself. Yeah. So like I'm handing you, my friend, an honest mirror and saying, okay, we've talked about what's wrong with the feedback, which was very cathartic (laughs) and satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything now that you think might be right about it? Is there anything you think I need to learn? And that the people that we trust can actually then help us see those blind spots when we're ready to see them. Yeah. And that that's one of the ways that we can help enlist other people in not just turning up to be supportive. That's important, but that's not the end of the story because then we also want them to turn up to help us to see ourselves honestly.
0: Do you have a good cadence for that because like I myself who teach about blind spots and espouse their virtues all the time, I can't have people just tell- being honest mirrors to me all day long. Like I'll be in a ball of mush. So for me it's like I actually, I think about every six months, if I haven't heard any feedback that I find surprising and maybe a little bit painful, then I say, you know what? I have blind spots I'd like to uncover. Uh, Do you have a cadence that you recommend to organizations? Like what's a healthy, honest mirror amount?
1: Boy, that's such an interesting question because I don't know if I've thought about it in an organizational context. I've definitely thought about it a lot in an individual context which is um, partly related to getting to know your own profile. right? And so for me, I tend to I tend to bounce back probably a little bit quicker. I'll swing pretty wide, but I'll bounce back a little bit quicker. But I might say, um, I just I'm not yet ready for what I need to work on, but I'll be ready and I need to, you know, I need to, give this talk again next week. So I just want to sit with it a little bit for a few days, and then I'll be ready for some help. And I know myself well enough to think I want to start by naming the things that with some reflection I have coaching for myself about what I think I should change, which makes me feel a little bit more competent. <laughs> and then once I feel that way, I can be like, what What else would you add? And so part mm-hmm. of this is, how do I get to know my own profile so that I then can take responsibility for coaching other people on how to offer me the feedback, how and when to offer me the feedback? And so if we take that to have- organizations or teams, it might just be conversations with the people you work with about like, when would be helpful? I think there are a number of things that were great and that I don't want you to lose sight of and and when would be helpful to talk about things to change.
0: Yeah. Do you have any surveys? Like, do you have any assessments for number one, how good we are at asking for feedback? And two, this benchmark of how you take it?
1: Yeah, it's something that we tend to do in our workshops give people a set of questions to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a set of 12 questions that make up a guide to working with me that can be the basis for some of those conversations. Um, And some of it is just questions like, you know, what are your pet peeves about feedback? That's a really interesting and productive conversation to have um, in working relationships, in new working relationships, but even in old working relationships. And what advice do you have for how people can offer you feedback? And is it okay by email Mm -hmm. or not? Should we wait until we see each other or pick up the phone? And, and just some of the really basic things like that um, can help us sort of get on the same page about it. Well, it sounds like hiring you for one of these workshops is a
0: valuable thing for companies to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hear more of those questions. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been, um, we've been doing are sort of virtual conversations because this gets even harder when we're working remotely. Yeah. Of course. So, doing virtual sessions that give us a chance to talk about that and how do we want to adapt how we're working together and we got to learn as fast as we can um, really are some of the conversations that we all should be having right now. Sheila,
0: where can people follow you, find out more about you and the research you're doing next?
1: Yeah. So, um, triadconsultinggroup.com, um, we have a bunch of help yourself resources um, and reader's guides, that kind of thing. Um, and of course I'm on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. It's been wonderful to join you.
0: Thanks so much for listening. I I just loved having this conversation with Sheila and even re-listening to it as I was getting ready to air it. If you want to tell me your favorite takeaway, I'm at Diana Cander on most social media platforms. And if you want to get into a longer discussion, maybe contribute something that you have to this topic, I would love for you to join us on our Facebook group, Professional AF Podcast Insiders. It's a really great group of nearly a thousand people who love listening to the show and discussing the contents. I am Diana Cander. thanking you so much for listening and reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. Whatever your challenge is at the moment, I just know that getting curious about it is going to help. I'll talk to you soon.